theyeshiva.net. Thank you, everybody. Boker Tov. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome to all those who have been here for a few days. Welcome to uh, all the guests who have arrived yesterday or today. We're thrilled and privileged to have you, and I'm so happy to be here with you on this wonderful morning dedicated to the theme, How to Forgive If You Can't Forget. They tell an anecdote about a fellow who crossed the Atlantic Ocean from the other side of the ocean, came to the United States, and he had the reputation of, for himself of being what's called a captain. He was a poor man. His father was a poor man. His grandfather was a poor man. Came from a city in Belarus, Lithuania, called Pinsk. And he arrives in New York, and he decides it's time to open a new chapter in life, change the paradigm. From now on, he wants to be a respectable person. He goes, he borrows money, buys himself a beautiful designer suit, beautiful watch, very exquisite shoes, very elegant tie, fashion hat. He looks impeccable comes into the synagogue on Shabbos. From now on, he's going to present himself as an honorable, dignified member of the community instead of being that schlamazel, the schlepper, the batlin, always second tier. So he decides to go and sit right in the front of the shul, you know, near the president and the, the members of the board and the rabbi. He's sitting right in the front, You have to believe in yourself if you want others to believe in you, as your therapist will tell you. But then he thinks, but how am I going to really become an honorable person? And then he realizes, you know, in every shul, they're always asking if there's a Kohen. Because for the reading of the Torah, you always call up first a Kohen, the priest. So he thinks, you know what? He's going to become a Kohen. And that way, automatically, he will be given honor every Shabbos, every Monday, every Thursday, when they have to do grace after meals, when they need kohanim, the priest, to bless the congregation. He will immediately be moved to the top in terms of the social circle of the community. This is brilliant, and his reputation, his demeanor, his destiny will be metamorphosized for eternity. Sure enough, the Gabbai gives a scream before the reading of the Torah, Cohen, Cohen, any Cohen, Cohen? Yeah, I'm a Cohen. Yamod! They call him up to the Torah, I'm a Everyone, he makes sure to go from the beginning to the end, women's section, men's section, he's walking all over the place. He goes to the Kiddush club, he goes to the bathrooms, he goes to the corridor, shikoyach, 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 till he gets back to the front seat, he's feeling good. Prayers are over and everyone walks by the rabbi, you know, as they do, to give gachabas, to give a handshake, and this man too goes over to the rabbi to give a handshake, and their eyes meet. The rabbi looks at him, says, Yankel? 
from Pinsk? From Pinsk? Yeah, Yankel. Wow! Wow, you've made it. You've survived. You're here. What an honor. What a blessing. What a miracle. Gives him a big hug and a big kiss. But Yankel, I have a question. I remember you growing up. I knew your father, Allah Shalom. I knew your Zayd, Allah Shalom. I knew your great-grandfather when I was a kid. I remember your great-grandfather. Fine Jews, pious Jews, God-fearing people. But not Kohanim. How in the world, Yankel, did you become a Kohen? Now, there are some jokes, you have to say them in the original and then translate them. So that's what I'll do, and then I'll translate. Yanko looks at the rabbi, he says, Rabbi, this is America. This is America. As du ken zayn ayrov, ken nich zayn koyin. This is America. If you could be a rabbi, I could be a koyin. <laughs> It works. <laughs> I just got it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty good one. <laughs> I, of course, share this because we're talking about opening a new chapter, a new chapter in your life. And... Uh, experiencing the art of forgiveness. Frankly, it's a difficult question. How to forgive if you can't forget. I'm going to try to break it down into a few parts. (laughs) I'm smiling because (laughs) there was once a rabbi talking about rabbis in America who got a call from a woman. And she says, Rabbi, I have a big crisis. What's the crisis? My husband buys the lottery every week for 41 years. What's the crisis? This week, the lottery is $421 million. So what's the crisis? He won. The rabbi says, Halavai and everybody. What's the crisis? She says, I know my husband. He hears the news. He's going to collapse. He'll faint. Get into a coma, he can die. Pasha Mamish have a heart attack and expire at the moment. It's too much. I know my husband, sensitive, fragile guy. The rabbi says, No problem. I'll prepare him emotionally. Send him to my office today on the way home from work before he hears the news. Great. Comes to the rabbi's office. Rabbi, you called me yet? I want to know how you're doing. He says, How am I doing? Life is miserable, it always was miserable, always been miserable, I can't make ends meet, been struggling for 41 years. Rabbi says, why don't you ever buy a lottery ticket? <laughs> says, I've been doing that for 41 years, but people like me don't win. Schleppers like me never win. People in Montana win, people in Kentucky win. That's who wins, people who I never knew, people like me, Right? With the name Chaim Zundel Schwartz. Don't win. We don't win lotteries. The rabbi says, but what happens? Just like the guy in Montana could win, you can also win. If you get the right numbers, you win. He says, Rabbi, please, 41 years, I never won a dollar in the lottery. 
You think I won 421 million dollars? But you never know. You never know what happens if this week you won. Says Rabbi, if I won, I give you half. So the rabbi collapsed and had a heart attack and fainted and expired. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm taking you with me wherever I go. I've been looking for a laugh like that. Okay? Because usually the crowd is fashlofen. So I'm taking you with me, okay? Yeah, you can pay for my ticket. <laughs> Now, sometimes it's hard to hear the good news. It's hard to hear the good news. I lost the lottery. Okay, I won the lottery. Sometimes it's hard to deal with good news. And I should say that sometimes this is a uniquely, not always, but also it could be a Jewish issue. Because Jews for many years were used to the bad news. (laughs) And when you hear good news, it's like, oh, must be something miserable coming. They used to say the Jewish telegram reads, right? Start worrying. Details to follow. But whatever the details are going to be, there's going to be a reason to worry. Yeah? In a kosher restaurant the other day, the way to go from table to table, is anything all right? Uh, somebody says, you know, when a Jew makes a fist, you ever saw a Jew make a fist? You know what the next step is? So they say that many years ago, the Israeli economy was in the dumps. So the Knesset had a meeting. What to do about the economy? So Drew gets up, he says, I have a brilliant idea. Let's learn from Japan and Germany. Let's declare war on the United States of America. They will wipe us out, but then Americans feel guilty always. So they'll rebuild us into an economic superpower like they did to Germany and Japan, and our economy will be healed. It'll be awesome. One old, old Jew, 90 years old in the Knesset, stands up and says, great, great idea, but there's one problem. What happens if we win the war? (laughs) So I say all of this to you, my friends, because... Real forgiveness comes from appreciating the fact that you could deal with good news. That I can deal with good news. That I could win the lottery and not think God is going to destroy my life the next day. Because when it comes to forgiveness, the key issue is that we forgive somebody else. But forgiving somebody else is also a form of forgiving yourself. People don't usually think of it that way. Because when I live with resentment, when I live with negativity, I am the victim of my resentment. As somebody once said, holding on to grudges is basically, basically what it is, is putting yourself on fire. Literally, you heard the alarm 7 o'clock in the morning? It was a romantic way of waking up, wasn't it? Right? It's literally, so the guy's like, everybody come down slowly. There's a fire in the building and so forth. It happened two days earlier at the same time. 
Imagine somebody literally ignites themselves on fire. God forbid you ignite yourself on fire, hoping and praying that your enemy dies from smoke inhalation. (laughs) That's mamish what carrying grudges is like. You're living with this enemy 24 hours a day in your head. And by the way, he lives in your head rent-free. At least charge him a nice rent. (laughs) He lives in my head day and night. He drives me crazy. He saps out or she saps out the last energy of me. So I'm putting myself on fire and hoping you die from smoke inhalation. Or as somebody once said, eating poison and hoping that your enemy dies from you eating the poison. That's mamish what it's like. So we forgive to forgive somebody else. But it's also a form of forgiving yourself. It's giving yourself the freedom to know that you can open up a new chapter in your life, that you're really, really not a victim. And the greatest example for this was Joseph, Yosef. Joseph was hurt very, very badly. Those of you who watched my Tisha B'Av live stream, I know some of you have, this was our big theme. Joseph was a victim on the worst level, on the worst. His mother died when he was nine. His brothers abducted him when he was 17. They threw him into a pit and they sold him into slavery. In slavery, he already made it to the top. He became a very accomplished servant in the house of one of the ministers of the Egyptian government. And then he was accused innocently of trying to seduce and violate his master's wife and he was thrown into prison. With such a life story, what do you think a man like Joseph would look like? Resentful. A heart of stone, angry, rude, very self-centered, just trying to protect himself. And yet when he meets his brothers 22 years after they did what they did to him, and he says, I'm Joseph, his first words to them is, don't get depressed and don't even be angry. You think you have sold me? You haven't sold me. God sent me in order to save the world from hunger and save my family from hunger. Now, I find that strange. He tells them not to be depressed. They're the perpetrators, for heaven's sake. They should tell him, you don't be depressed. Somehow, the perpetrators became the victims. And the victim is like telling them, you don't be depressed. He? He's the one who suffered. They're not the ones who suffered. They're the ones who afflicted suffering. What do you see from this? What type of mindset was behind this. Now, I'm going to share with you what Joseph was thinking. And I'm going to share with you something else. So many of us don't believe that we're capable of living that way. Because we don't know how to win the lottery. We only know how to lose lotteries. We know how to go like this. We, don't, we know how to go, oi, not ah. But what if I tell you that you could wake up in the morning free from toxicity, free from anger, free from contamination, free from resentment, free from negative energy. And you're like, Rabbi, which world are you living in? Do you know my sister-in-law? Do you know my brother? Do you know my nephew? Do you know my uncle? Do you know what type of mother I grew up with? Do you know what type of father? Do you know the guy I'm married to? 
Do you know what happened after my father died with the will? Do you know what happened to me in my community? Do you know what happened to me as a teenager? Do you know what my ex is doing? Do you know what my previous partner is telling about me in court? Anybody knows what I'm talking about? Because <laughs> I don't. And what about the person who didn't invite you to the bar mitzvah after everything you did for them? For starters, I'm happy when I don't get invited to bar mitzvahs. I really don't know why people are upset. It's like somebody called me the day, this guy didn't invite me to the bar mitzvah. I wish I wouldn't be invited to the bar mitzvah. <laughs> Could stay home for one night. Why are you insulted? I didn't get a blessing under the chuppah. You're lucky. <laughs> My father had a newspaper and uh, for many years, and he once had pictures of a bunch of prominent people. And under each one, he wrote a very long title, very long. And then one person, he just wrote Rabbi so-and-so without any titles. The man called him up and said, Mr. Jacobson, why would you insult me in public and not write all these nice titles about me? My father told him, because you I like. So here's the secret. The secret is when you wake up in the morning, you open your eyes before checking your phone. <laughs> you find that funny? <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a joke that there's something called before checking your phone. <laughs> you open your eyes before checking your phone and even before brushing your teeth. You say in the Judaism, we say something. A lot of you say it, but I'm not talking about the words. I'm talking about the meditation. I thank you, living and eternal king, for returning to me my soul with a lot of compassion. Great is your confidence in me. Great is your trust in me. This is the first thing a Jew says when he or she opens their eyes, even before we wash our hands, before anything before we go to tend to our physical needs, before we get dressed, before we shower, etc. What is the meaning of this? These words some of you know. Some of you may hear it now for the first time. I would suggest to maybe you want to incorporate this into your life. It's a very powerful tradition. But let me tell you what it really means. What it really means is you always have to define who you are the first thing you wake up. Either the day defines you or you define the day. Either the emails that you got define you or you define them. Either the people you're struggling with define you or you define them. If the first thing you do, you wake up in the morning, is you say basically, who am I? I am a soul, a divine soul. God, you have given me my soul. I spoke yesterday at length about the electricity flowing through the refrigerator. I'm going to refer to that again. Who am I? I am divine electricity manifested in the physical world. That's who I am. Who am I? Who am I? I'm not a victim. I'm not egotistical. <laughs> Tell that to my mother-in-law. <clears throat> I'm not narcissistic. Tell my wife. I'm not Meshuga. Tell my friends. I may have all this. Oh, I may have narcissism. Oh, yeah. I may have an ego. Well, not me, but others. <laughs> I may have mental challenges. I may have toxicity. I may have trauma. I may have pain. And what about the pain of people who grew up with parents of Holocaust survivors? 
or grandparents of Holocaust survivors. You know, some of these things, epigenetics is teaching that it's going through the genes now. It's going through, it's not simple. Jews have been through one hellish history, and that affects us. But here's the question. The question is, who are you? Am I a piece of trauma, or am I a piece of God? If I'm a piece of God that was just sent down into the world... I can look at all of the experiences, but I maintain a deep spiritual equilibrium that nobody can destroy. This does not mean that I'm not going to deal with an obnoxious person this morning. Sometimes you may. If you're living in New York, some say it's 50% chances, 60%. If you're living in New Jersey, I don't know how much the statistics change with your taxes. Somebody asked me, why are people in New York so tense and such a bad mood? Because I grew up there. I said, it's very simple. You would also be fahakt and fabloget and fawundet and depressed and everything if the light at the end of your tunnel was New Jersey. <laughs> now that's just a joke. I love New Jersey. I love New Jersey. I send my kids to learn in New Jersey and Morristown. We love New Jersey. But as a light at the end of the tunnel, I'm not sure. Just going through that Holland Tunnel can kill you. Ever went through our Holland Tunnels? I may confront challenges during the day. And then one email and another email, and when it rains, it pours. But if in the first moment of the day, I identified myself, who am I? I am a child of God. I am an ambassador of love, light, and hope. I am a divine ambassador of love, light, and hope. I look at everything and I experience everything in a completely different context. The Medrash says that on Tuesday, the first Tuesday of creation, God created... All vegetation, all produce, everything that grows from the earth, but he created something else, all the minerals, including all the metals, including iron. And the Midrash says, and I quote, when the trees, the new fresh trees observed the iron, what did the trees do? His chilu wrote it and they began to tremble because the trees saw themselves as tall and splendid and strong, but suddenly they observed the metals, the iron, and they realized that now... Their destroyer has also been created. Every tree can be felled with the axe. And the Midrash says, I quote, God turned to the trees and said, Trees, trees, don't worry. No axe will be able to fell you if you don't contribute its handle to it. Because the handle of an axe is made out of Wood, which comes from the tree. What's this Medrash talking about? What type of conversation is God having with trees? The Medrash is saying something very profound, my dear friends. Nobody can cut you down in life without your own consent. This doesn't mean they won't try. This doesn't mean they don't have issues. This doesn't mean you don't want to kill them. Okay. This doesn't mean you don't want to send them into therapy for 69 years. This doesn't mean you don't have to create boundaries. Sometimes you have to create boundaries. What it does mean is you are never 
ever a victim. And if you are, it's because the voice that is telling you you're a victim is the voice of victimization. Which brings us, did you hear what I just said? Not every voice that is in your mind you should worship as a god. Some of those voices are just like clouds, black clouds that just flow. Let them move on. You know what thoughts are? Here's a teaching from the Tanya, very powerful teaching. Thoughts are garments. The Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shnei Zalman of Liadi, the founder of Chabad, the author of the Tanya, in his whole book, he calls thoughts, what's his name for thoughts? Clothes. Now, when I was young and I started to read the Tanya, I never realized the brilliance of that metaphor. Now I understand. Thoughts are clothes. They're garments. What do I do if my jacket is dirty and I don't like it? What do I do? I don't go and start quetching about how miserable my life is because my jacket is so dirty and smelly and horrible. Not this jacket, but other jackets. It doesn't match my tie. Not this tie, but other ties. Right? Take it off! (laughs) Put on a new jacket. But I can't, I don't have another jacket. I need a jacket. Okay! So you're wearing a dirty jacket. Doesn't mean you're dirty. Doesn't mean you're filthy. Doesn't mean you're hopeless. Doesn't mean you're a depressed soul. It means your jacket is dirty. So for 10 hours, you'll sit in a dirty jacket on the airplane or wherever you're sitting. Fahakt. After 10 hours, you'll change it. That's what thoughts are. So I'm having these thoughts. She's making my life miserable. He's making my life miserable. I can't live. I can't breathe. I can't this. I can't. Those are thoughts. I am not those thoughts. Who am I? I am a divine ambassador of love, light, and hope, and healing, and redemption. And with every step I take, every move I make, every breath I take... Every word I say and every action I produce advances the world to redemption, brings goodness, cleansing, healing. Some people will do different things. Again, sometimes I have to protect myself. Sometimes you need boundaries. Good neighbor, good fences, good neighbors make. Robert Frost, thank you. Good fences, good neighbors make. Sometimes you need fences. Fences are not about resentment. Fences are about respect for boundaries. We remember what the Kotzke Rebbe always said. Did you get that? Okay, if I am I because you are you, and you are you because I am I, then I am not I, and you are not you. But if I am I because I am I, and you are you because you are you, then I am I, and you are you. And now we can begin to schmooze. What he was saying was something very profound. If my entire I is a response to you, then there's no I and there's no you. Your you is a response to I, my I is a response to you. We call it codependency. But if I am I and you are you, I am I, you are you, now we can begin a relationship. So boundaries in life are very powerful and very, very important. But who am I? When you open your eyes, you have to define who you are. 
we say, the mantra of the Jewish people is, Shema Yisrael, Adenoi Eloheinu, Adenoi Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Which happens to be a verse in this week's Torah portion. Deuteronomy, Parshat Ve'et Hanan. Actually, in the section of Chumash that's learned today, Friday, I think it's Shishi. Five Yishilan Chitas already. Shishi, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Alekeinu, this section. What does it mean, God is one? So everybody says, God is one means there's no like thousand gods. Okay, that's true. What else is God is one? God is one means God is not made up of limbs and organs. God is a transcendent being who's not a composite of different diverse compartment, compartments. He's not compartmentalized. So there's no many gods. God is one. But here's the real interpretation. God is one means, this is how the Baal Shem Tov explained it. This is how the Shalom explained it. This is how the Alter Rebbe explained it. God is one means that there's oneness in the world. That there is oneness. Everything is part of that oneness. The choice that we have is either we identify as part of that oneness or we don't identify as part of that oneness. When you identify as part of that oneness, you're basically plugged into the electricity. When you don't identify as that part of the, as part of the oneness, you're just unplugged. Because everything is divine. The divine energy is at the core of all reality. The question is, if I define myself that way, I don't define myself that way. If I define myself that way, the reality I'm encountering at home or in business or wherever it is, an old story, a new story, may be the same. I can't rewrite my past. What I could do is I have to always choose where I'm coming from. How do I put it in context? Do I define it or does it define me? If I am part of the divine, then... Nobody can cut me down without my consent. Nobody. Could anybody traumatize God? Can anybody destroy God's confidence? Can anybody destroy God's love, God's happiness, God's optimism, God's hope? Well, you are that. You are a piece of God. You are a piece of Hashem. Nobody, nobody can destroy your ability for faith, for hope, for optimism. Nobody can destroy your confidence. Nobody can destroy your inner core. You are invincible, not because your ego is big, because actually you don't have an ego. Ego stands for easing God out, and you are essentially the manifestation of the divine in this world, so you're a divine ambassador of love, light, and hope. Do I have an ego? Of course, my thoughts, which are impacted by the cover-ups of the world, often produce flows. Thoughts are just a flow of chatter that doesn't end. It's like a yenta living in your brain and doesn't stop. I meet you. We have a filing cabinet for everybody. Before Google was created, I meet you. The Google in my brain says, oh, I know this guy. Don't trust him. He's suspicious. He's anyway an idiot. He's a moron. Why is he here? How did he get here? Who paid for him? Did he make money recently? He owes me $50,000 40 years ago. You know how it goes? Oh, Shalom Aleichem, it's nice to see you. Even before the Shalom Aleichem, your Google mind already experienced approximately 963 thoughts about him. 99.9 were pretty negative. But you're all smiles. <laughs> Shalom Aleichem, everybody, by the way. Good morning. It's nice to see you. But why are you here in the crowd? Get out. I'm just joking. I once heard from the Rebbe, he said that why do Jews meet? And one says Shalom Aleichem and the other says Aleichem Shalom. Why not reciprocal? Shalom Aleichem, Shalom Aleichem. I mean, imagine in English, right? I say, good morning. And you say, morning good. 
How are you? You are how? What's up? Up what? The guy is Meshiga. But in Hebrew, we do it all the time. Shalom Aleichem, Aleichem, Shalom. Shalom Aleichem, Shalom. So the rabbi, I heard this from the rabbi myself, 1985, I think, out of Fabreng in 84. And he said, because when two Jews meet, even before they begin the conversation, the first thing they have to do is disagree. <laughs> That's the first thing. And once we disagree, now hopefully we can have a peaceful, ar- a peaceful conversation. I wanted to say a peaceful argument. <laughs> See how bad it is? Shalom Aleichem. Aleichem Shalom. You're wrong. The first thing is you're wrong. You got it all wrong is the other way. And now we begin. Are there times that you don't forgive? That's the question. <laughs> and everybody says, yeah, in my family. <laughs> in my family, there's no forgiveness. We are the quintessential dysfunctional American or East European Jewish family for 23 and a half generations. The dysfunction continues. My dear friends, I don't know how to break this to you. The dysfunction is universal. It goes back to Adam and Eve listening to the snake. And that's when everything changed. That's when everything changed. What the snake accomplished was it pitted Eve's opinion against God's opinion. The snake didn't tell Eve, don't listen to God. The snake just said, God has issues. He's insecure, and he doesn't want competition. And this tree is like, you know, LSD. Let's start davening. With this tree, with this tree, you're going to become a sickle. Uh, you're going to know too many things. Don't eat from the tree. What did the snake accomplish? Snake said, oh, God has his agenda. I have my agenda. That's when the world went into therapy. The first question God asks Adam is, Ayeka, where are you? What do we do in therapy? We sit down and say, where am I? Who am I? Right? They say the definition of chutzpah is you come to the therapist because you have a split personality, and then you want a group discount. (laughs) The greatest split that exists is the split that I believe that I'm not part of God, that I am not infinite. The moment I detach myself from infinity, I become a vulnerable, very nice, a vulnerable, beautiful, beautiful. I asked for this. (sighs) But whoever did this, I'm not going to forgive so easily. But actually, I'm divine. I am going to forgive. I'm good. I'm good. (laughs) Okay, now that was easy, I know. That was easy. It's not your brother-in-law. The electricity. Very good. Very good, you get an extra piece of cheesecake by lunch, Rabbi Epstein. Very good, you were listening. The electricity. So my dear friends, that was the secret of Yosef. What did Joseph have? Yosef had a lot of pain. He had pain, he cried. He set boundaries when he had to. But one thing Joseph had. He never ever saw himself as a sold pink punk ball. He saw himself as a shliach, as an ambassador, as an emissary of the divine. The most powerful 
imagery, one, for me, one of the most powerful imageries in the whole of the Bible, and I discussed this at length in my uh, Tishabav, in my ninth of Av presentation on the yeshiva.net, many of you were alive, is that we're alive, right? <laughs> yeah, very good. <laughs> many of you joined me live. Th- thank you for the correction. <clears throat> I, hope you for- I hope you forgive me. <laughs> Don't forget, but forgive. Is that moment that Joseph is defined in the famous Psalm 126. Joseph is defined as a seed. Those who plant with tears will reap with joy, with song. Joseph is defined as a seed. What do you do with a seed? What do you do with a seed? You don't leave it on your windowsill. What do you do with it? You plant it. You plant it. And where do you plant it? Under the earth. And what do you do? Do you cover it or do you leave it exposed? You cover it. You cover it. You cover it, there's sunlight, there's air, there's oxygen, there's water, right? Why is Joseph refined as a seed? He's a person, he's not a seed. The answer is one of the most powerful moments in the Bible. Because Joseph was thrown under the bus. Or more accurately, was cast into a pit in the earth. How many times in his life? Anybody knows? How many times was Joseph thrown into a pit? Give me the three, number one. His brothers threw him into the pit. Number two, in jail they threw him into a pit. And what do you say, number three? Huh? He had to stay in jail for 12 years. So Joseph is, the Torah refers to both of them in the same word, bor. What's bor? Bor is literally a pit. It's a pit in the ground. It's exact, it's a hole in the ground. What do you put in the hole in the ground? A seed. So here's what happens. A person sometimes is thrown under the bus or thrown into the ground, thrown into the earth. What happens at that moment? You're experiencing darkness. Here's my choice. I tell myself, I was just buried. I was just buried. Life is over. I was buried. I am so filled of rage or depression. Rage or depression. Or Joseph said, I was not buried. I was planted. Planted by God. Doesn't mean it's not painful. It's painful. The seed decomposes. And I was watered. How was I watered? Hazorim bedima. I was watered with with tears. Jacob's tears watered me. Jacob didn't stop crying for Joseph. He believed that he was alive. That's what sustained Joseph. We all have those tears. Tears of our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, our souls, all the way to God himself. So you always have to decide, was I buried or was I planted? And I should just mention in parentheses, one of the reasons that we're so focused on burying a corpse, not cremating, 
Why is Judaism so into burial? Because burial is also seen as a form of planting. Because when Mashiach comes, there's the concept called Chiyas HaMesim. The dead come back. So when we put it into the earth, the body, it's really a form of planting a seed. It's going to decompose, but it's going to emerge as a tree. Joseph knew that wherever he is in the world, he was taken and he was planted. And what's going to come from this is great sheaves, great produce, great trees. Indeed, what happens? He literally becomes the person, Yosef, who hamashbir bar lechol ha'aretz. He is the one who provides grain to the whole world and he saves the world from hunger. Where does grain grow from? seed, a seed. So was he right or was he wrong? That's where his power of forgiveness came from. His power of forgiveness was not that he didn't know the pain. It came from the fact that mentally, every morning he was in a different space. And it's the space that everybody could go into. No matter what happened to you in your life, it's a space that every person could go into. It's the space where I go into and I become a divine ambassador, because that's who I am. <laughs> I am plugged in. The choice I have to make is whether I unplug or I, don't, or I plug in. All the mitzvahs that we do, from prayer to study to charity, everything in Judaism is basically to help yourself remain plugged in. That's what it is. If you don't get this about Judaism, you're looking at the trees, you miss the forest. You have to always understand the forest. What's the forest of Judaism? To remain plugged into infinity. You walk into the lunchroom, don't worry, it's going to be in a few minutes. You're plugged into infinity. And then when you see the black and white cake, and the brownie, and the cheesecake, and the babka, and the 600 assortments of healthy cookies, even one can kill you. 600 of them will kill you on the spot. Your funeral will be right here. God forbid. Yeah? It depends always who I am. Who am I? Who am I and how am I filling my voids? The last question is, is there a time that you don't forgive? (laughs) I know your family. I know that. I know your family don't forgive ever. That guy is such a whatever. Is there a time you don't forgive? I cannot forgive you for something you did to somebody else. When somebody says, I forgive somebody recently, I forgive the Germans. <laughs> I wasn't killed in the gas chambers. I can't forgive you for somebody else. I can't forgive bin Laden for the victims of 9-11. I can't. It didn't happen to me. <laughs> you stole a million dollars from somebody else. He has to forgive you. I can't forgive you. There's boundaries in forgiveness. I can't forgive you. I can forgive you what you did to me. I can't forgive you what you did to somebody else. I can't. I would love to, but I can't. How do I know this? God himself says it. The Mishnah says on Yom Kippur, God says, I can forgive for the sins between you and me. I can't forgive for the sins between you and your friend. Why not? Why can't God forgive? I ask God to forgive. Why not? And the answer is, God says, you didn't do it to me. I forgive you. I forgive you for the pain that you did to me. But you now have to go seek forgiveness from the person. That's number one. Number two, if through forgiveness I am helping somebody continue to perpetrate the crime, forgiveness is forbidden. 
If there's a child molester in my community and I'm forgiving him and therefore removing responsibility and saying all is good, but this man is unrepentant. He is continuing, continuing a criminal act. Then forgiveness makes you an accomplice of the crime. You're not being a saint by forgiving. When do I forgive? I forgive in one of two cases. Number one is the right thing to do. Number two is the godly thing to do, even though it's not obligated. Number one, when somebody asks me for forgiveness. When somebody asks you for forgiveness, even if it's hard, try to find within yourself the ability to forgive. And it's interesting, in Jewish law, you're not obligated to forgive because you cannot obligate somebody to forgive. The way the Jewish code of law says it is, try not to be stone-hearted, that you can't forgive. Try to forgive. You can't tell somebody, forgive, because it's not about a verbal declaration. It's about an inner commitment to forgiveness. But Judaism says, if somebody asks you, forgive. What if somebody doesn't ask you? If they're continuing to perpetuate the crime, and by forgiving them, you're allowing them to continue, then it's a serious issue you have to consider. There is a wonderful custom of the Arizal, not obligated, but a wonderful custom of the Arizal, that every night before you go to sleep, there's a special prayer. It's called Ribona Shalaylam. Ribona Shalaylam Hareini Moichel That even somebody who didn't ask forgiveness, I choose to forgive. If the forgiveness is not causing more bloodshed, more violence, more abuse, etc., do never confuse forgiveness with protecting yourself. Those two are completely disconnected. If somebody in your life is toxic and is driving you crazy and is destroying your relationship with your children or your grandchildren, forgiveness does not mean removing boundaries and allowing dysfunction and abuse to continue. Never confuse the two. Don't allow the beautiful word of forgiveness to become an excuse not to create the proper structures to protect those people you are responsible to protect, beginning with yourself. Never confuse the two. So my dearest friends, I bless myself and I bless all of you that we should be able to have the courage, the confidence, the resolve, and the clarity to be able to live in the space of divine infinity. How do you know you're living in that space? The verse says in Psalms, we say it every morning, In God's space, there's two things, confidence and joy. When you live in a space of divine infinity, you live in a space of confidence, and you live in a space of joy. You can do it, and I can do it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.